Good morning. <laughs> How's Long Girl doing today? It's good to be out here and just want to say a special thanks to Long Girl for giving us an opportunity to be out here and do our service. It's, what a beautiful day, right? I mean, we had to suffer yesterday a little bit through some rain, but it sounds like things went pretty well, I think, for downtown here yesterday. Um, you know, one thing I love, I love, you know, the fest. I hadn't, you know, I haven't been here very long, only a few years, so and of course, part of that was during the pandemic, so the fests were some, somewhat you know, limited and things like that. So as this thing's been getting rolling, it's been really neat to kind of see it coming into full swing and to be able to participate. Um, I love, again, just the atmosphere of the fests, and you know, it also reminds me of you know, like county fairs and stuff. Anybody go to county fairs? Yeah, and you know, one of my, the only reason I go to a county fair is simply for the funnel cakes. And anybody with me on that? Like, yeah, you just, there's something about it. Um, also been to, you know, I don't know if they do around here too, like the fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. And you get uh, like a package of those that they make fresh and then there's sometimes a milk truck. Have you guys seen that before? And so you get that too together, like hot chocolate chip cookies and a milk truck. I don't know that there's much better. I mean, other than washing it down with a funnel cake probably, right? So it's, I love that, that atmosphere. I love the excitement. And, you know, today as we uh, begin our time here, just for the next few moments, and just what I'm going to share today, I want to start with a, a quick story about a, a fair, actually. And, you know, at this county fair, a distinctively dressed Quaker offered a horse for sale. A non-Quaker farmer asked its price, and since Quakers had a reputation for fair dealing, he bought the horse without hesitation. The farmer got the horse home, only to discover it was lazy and ill-tempered. So he took it back to the fair the next day, and there he confronted the Quaker. Thou hast no complaint against me, said the Quaker. Had thou asked me about the horse, I would have told thee truthfully the problems, but thou didst not ask. The man replied, that's okay. He said, I don't want you to take the horse back. I want to try to sell him to someone else. Can I borrow your coat and hat for a while? Man, that just really bombed, didn't it? That was it. That was the story. So, yeah. Can I borrow your coat and hat for a while? Right? Okay, great. Well, we're moving along. So, this is why I stick to my own story. So, my life's pretty entertaining in itself. These things seem to flop for me. So, but anyway, the, the point of the story is, is, other than the lack of humor in it, I guess, that it's, you know, it, it comes across that throughout life that we, we are always, you know, in situations where we're trying to navigate them, where we're trying to figure out, you know, if things um, are kind of of the value they seem to be, pre be presented, you know, if something seems to be too good to be true, right, that's what we say, then typically we're kind of hesitant, right? It's it just, there's just a lot of, not, not a lot of things in life are given out for free. Um, and so, you know, it, it, what it does in us, though, it creates this type of skepticism and we are always assessing what is true and what is too good to be true. Um, I, I've shared this story, I think, in the past, but, you know, my wife and I and family were in Sri Lanka once. And, you know, after I had gotten my picture with the python on my neck and, you know, the picture, you know, next to the elephants and everything else, you know, we decided to go ahead and wrap our day up and go ahead and get, get our uh, tourist shopping out of the way. And so we went to this, this store and, you know, we started loading up, you know, buying gifts for everybody we're going to take back. And, um, you know, we got done, we had this pile of stuff and, you know, my wife and I talked and we came up with a price that seemed pretty, pretty good. And, you know, cause there it's all the barter system, right? I mean, you're, you're not, not a barter, but you're negotiating always the price. There's no prices on things. And so, you know, we asked and we kind of got them down a little bit. And so we were pretty stoked, you know, that it actually worked. And, uh, so we gave them our money 
and they readily took it. And the funny part was, you know, we were feeling really good, but then as we were leaving, they just start like throwing us t-shirts and free gifts and stuff. And finally we realized, I think it was to ease their, their guilt or their conscience for how much money they'd just taken from us when we probably could have gotten something much, much cheaper um, had we persisted. And so, you know, again, there's, there's this, this idea of value and, and what is it that's being presented and what we're trying to gain from it. And, you know, for many people, you know, this is what their approach to the scripture, to what scripture says, especially about Jesus Christ and his audacious claims, especially about being the promised Messiah. You know, for many of us, we've grown up in the church. For many of us who profess Christ as our Lord and Savior, you know, it, it maybe has become just, that's just kind of how it is. But for those that are seeking or maybe skeptical, you know, when they approach scripture, they, they, they do so with this thing of, is it too good to be true? And one person, uh, one of the you know, best, I think, apologists and, and just Christian thinkers of our time was, was C.S. Lewis. And you know, he was speaking in 1942, and this is something he shared. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. He says, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And we often hear this, don't we? And that is the one thing, he said, that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and, and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. And so I think, you know, when we hear that and when, as we approach, you know, uh, what scripture says about the Christ, about Jesus, you know, I think that there, there never has been a greater figure in history um, that typically stirs some sort of response in men and women all around the globe. You know, again, I know that there are places that are unreached still, but for the most part, if you mention Jesus, somebody knows who Jesus is, or at least has an idea or their idea of who he, who he is. And, you know, few, few people will disagree that a man named Jesus existed and walked the streets of Jerusalem a few thousand years ago. Historically, that's, it's pretty uh, doors closed, you know, books shut, that, that there was this man that existed. The debate typically moves and surrounds instead his deity and was he truly God in the flesh? Did he really say he was God, right? Did he really say he was God? And here's the bigger question, was he God? So let's pray as we ponder these questions today and take a moment to look at them. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for this beautiful, beautiful morning that you've given to us. I thank you, Lord, for this uh, wonderful town, Lord God, Long Grove, that um, just continues, Lord, to uh, embrace, Lord, the, the people here in the area and give us opportunity, Lord, just to, to gather together and enjoy just uh, your creation in this beautiful day. So, God, we do recognize you as we start our morning here in this time together. And, God, I just thank you just for, again, just speaking to our hearts, Lord, through your word and what is shared, Lord, from this pulpit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to take a, uh, some, a brief few moments again uh, just to look at, I want to look at two um, accounts or two scenes, if you will, as Jesus kind of approached this question, these questions that I just shared. You know, did he really say he was God and was he God for real? And the, the first scene will begin in a very public setting, you know, probably like this, but maybe more when, you know, the fest is in full swing and there's people all around. And you can picture maybe that scene in your mind. And, and Jesus had, had kind of gathered a crowd around him as he was speaking uh, in Jerusalem. 
And so in the Gospel of John chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. If you want to go on your phones, um, I'll trust you're not surfing uh, the internet or on Facebook or something. Um, but anyway, if you go there and, and, and pull up John chapter 10, verse, and we'll begin in verse 22. And again, this, the, the idea that this crowd is kind of gathered and Jesus is, is speaking. And it, and it reads, uh, beginning in verse 22, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. It says, it was now winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of, dedic of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. All right, any, any question or we don't need to unpack that, right? We understand what they're trying to get to. They're trying to get to the root of this. You know, we, we, we know you, we've seen your, you know, heard about you, your reputation precedes you. Um, and so we just want to know, tell us, you know, if you are the Messiah, just tell us, right? And notice Jesus' reply in verse 25, and he says, he says, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they will, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Now again, this is a, a bold declaration, right? A bold statement, especially for this setting, uh, especially when you're dealing with the Jews where, again, their view of God was very high and nobody, you know, you didn't even speak his name uh, in its fullness. That's how holy he was. And for, for somebody to come along and to say, me and God, we're one, we're, we're together. And, you know, notice what Jesus says. I mean, you can't, no one can snatch my sheep from my hand and no one can snatch the sheep from my father's hand, meaning that their hands are the same, right? And, and again, he, he makes that statement in verse 30, you know, a few words, the father and I are one. Well, we're going to pause that for just a moment, that scene. And I want you to keep that scene, big mob of people. Jesus says this statement and, you know, unless you're reading ahead, maybe kind of in your mind, wonder how they received it, right? how they might have received it. And I want us to move now to scene two, right? This the second scene we're gonna look at today. And and again, this actually happened before this, this, this first one, but it's still, we'll kind of, you'll see how it points to what we're going for here today. But the second scene I want us to look at is when uh, it's a much quieter scene. And in fact, it's, there's really no one around except for one person. And that's, that's a woman that had come to get water from a well. And, you know, Jesus is there and, and he is tired. He had sent his disciples on into the village to find food for them and to, to bring food back. And so he had stopped, you know, to take a rest. But I think also he stopped because there was a, a special meeting here that was about to take place. And he had something to share with this, this Samaritan woman. Now, as we prepare to, prepare to read this, understand that Samaritans at the time and Jews did not like each other. They did not talk to each other. In fact, most of the time, Jews, if they were going somewhere that would take them through Samaria, would go around out of their way just to not travel through that region. That's how much disdain they had for one another. And so, again, understand that as we approach this picture today. And so here, picture Jesus sitting there as, by this well as this woman approaches. And uh, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, we jump in and it says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. 
He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or bucket. Again, you see her mind right now is just on the physical well that's in front of her in this moment. You do not have a rope or bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? In verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. (laughs) Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. And so we see this interaction happening, right? We see this, again, she is definitely in this moment of this well and and this this physical sense of getting water. And, you know, Jesus is offering this to her. Those who drink of the water that he offers, this living water will never be thirsty again. It's not talking about this, you know, physical desire of being thirsty, but he says it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And so, you know, my, my question for you, especially if you, again, profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, and, you know, I would ask you today, is this uh, how you live your life? Do you feel like there's a, a well inside of you that's, that's bubbling up and a spring that's coming forward? You know, how do we present ourselves? How do we engage other people? Um, and, you know, that's a big sign of, of where we're at in our walk with the Lord, and this is where we should be. And so Jesus goes on now in this conversation. He says, go and, you know, get your husband. And Jesus tells her. And she's like, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have five husbands. Or you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And so again, Jesus has perceived what's going on. He sees that she's not being completely honest here. And so he says, yeah, you know, you're trying to, to, you said the truth in a sense, but there's all this other stuff. And she says, sir, the woman, she said, you you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount uh, Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Now pay attention to this. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now, okay? When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And here comes Jesus with his answer. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And so we have these, again, this, these two scenes. In the second one, we see this, this interaction. And, you know, she's almost caught it, right? She sees and she knows that there's this promised Messiah that's coming. But it seems like she's a little slow in realizing 
that's the one that's standing right in front of her, right? That's the person. And, you know, Jesus is explaining this to her, and he's revealing this to her. And he's even said, you know, the time is coming. He said, indeed, it's here now, meaning I'm here. I'm standing here now. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes it takes us. We're a little slower at getting things right than, than maybe others. And we're a little hard-headed at times. But Jesus is patient here, and he's, he's opening up her eyes to the fact of what he is and who he is. And that it's, again, he's standing right in front of her. And so, again, we have these two scenes now that we've paused. You know, over here, we started with this crowd, right, where he's pronounced that he is the Messiah. You know, he is the one, and he's shown that to the people. And then the second scene, and he's announced to this woman that, that he is the Messiah. And now what I really want us to get to today and how we're going to just kind of wrap things up and bring it together is how the response looks from each side. You know, again, these, you know, they're not completely unlike scenes we might see today where people are confronted with the truth of who Jesus is. You know, when, when, when it's, it, the gospel is shared or, or when, you know, the truth is shared and, and people are faced with a decision, you know, it's much like where these, these two scenes are and where we've kind of paused. You know, there comes a point where a person's day-to-day -day living comes face-to-face -face with the gospel message of who Jesus is. They, they recognize the fact that, hey, wow, this is that person. This is Jesus, the Messiah. And so, you know, the main thing I want us to see, though, today are the responses, because that's what we see today, even when we, you know, maybe speaking to somebody or, or sharing maybe our testimony with someone and how people choose to respond. Because, again, the fact of the matter is there's no other figure in history that implores a response on such a, a global scale. Anywhere you go, you know, if you bring up Jesus, it's going to solicit some type of response, sometimes good, sometimes really bad, right? It's not going to always go well. And so, again pause button, two scenes. Let's now look at the responses. And so let's return now to this first scene of this crowd. And picking back up in John chapter 10, verses 31 through 33, it says, once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Okay, there's a response. I don't know if you've experienced this, but they hear these people, he's said who he is, and now what's their first in, in, you know, response or their reaction is to pick up stones, not to you know, get his autograph on them, but to kill him with, right? And Jesus said, at my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? Now, I tend to find humor in funny places. And I pause here and I kind of laugh because I think in and of itself, <laughs> If anybody, any person that stops whilst a crowd is about to stone them to have a conversation, instead of running for their life or trying to get out of this, the, the place, I think would probably solidify them as the Messiah, right? Because nobody else in their right mind is going to stand there like, hey, those are really big stones and it looks like they're going to hurt an awful lot. Let me stand here and dialogue with you a little bit. And, and then he, he even has a little bit of, uh, I think, you know, humor in there and says, you know, which good deed or which, which thing are you going to stone me for? Hmm? Healing this person, you know, setting this person, raising this person from the dead. Like, you know, he's kind of like working the crowd a little bit, right? And I, I don't know. I just see like them holding the stones and they're kind of like, who, who is this guy? You know? And so again, Jesus presents this. And then again, it goes on. It says, they replied. <laughs> so this conversation continues. We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You are, uh, you a mere man claim to be God. 
And so, you know, again, two things I want us you to see here is, is that there was this claim, and it's very clear, the reason the people wanted to kill Jesus was because he claimed to be God. And so let us never, you know, debate on who Jesus was, a good man, you know, a good teacher, a moral person, because the reason they wanted to kill him, the one standing right in front of him, was because he, of this audacious claim to be God. And then we move to response number two, and this, again, let's now move back to this other scene of this woman at the well. John chapter 4, verses 7 through 27, um, and it says, Just then his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had, had the nerve to ask, What do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Again, they see him talking to the Samaritan, and it's a woman. And they're like, what, Jesus, what are you doing? But notice what happens in verse 28. It says, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now, again, this, this woman wasn't really asking the question if he was the Messiah, because I think she had seen probably enough. There was something in him to cause her to, again, drop. The whole trip out there was to get water, and she left her jug there, and she runs back. And this woman, again, um, is from the how many times she, how many husbands she had had and kind of how she was living at that time would have been an outcast in that culture. Yet she was bold enough and what she saw drove her enough, was enough to drive her back and to proclaim, hey, <laughs> this guy's here and this guy's for real. And she, she runs back to the crowd and we see at the end, and so the people came streaming from the village to see him. So whatever she said, we don't really know, but whatever she proclaimed was enough to move the people from where they were to want to move to where the well was to see this man, Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah. And so once again, a very, very different response. And so today, you know, people still respond in many different ways to the, the truth of who Jesus is. Some don't even want to hear about it. And so, you know, I think especially in our culture, uh, we, we just stay busy. They, people stay busy because they don't want to stop and pause to kind of take in or to, to truly kind of uh, look full on to the fact of that Jesus, you know, has presented himself in such a clear way. Some refuse today to believe it because they realize if they acknowledge it is true, then the way they live their lives needs to change. It's a surrender and it's, it's, it's something that's not comfortable. And so again, you know, I've, I've had conversations and I've, I've experienced this from time to time that, you know, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying <laughs> and it is true but I, I, I can't respond. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know if I want this right now. It's too much, it's too much to ask. And finally, some today recognize the truth of who Jesus is, but they simply uh, can't commit their lives to him completely. I think C.S. Lewis, to, to wrap up here, and, and that, that where we started with that quote, and to finish what he wrote as he was talking about, you know, dismissing Jesus, he went on to say in that same quote, he said, either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. He says, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let, not, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic or a fiend, 
And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. As we close our time here this morning, I want to leave you with just a few questions. First is, how's it going? <laughs> how's it going? How's it going with your life today? How's it going in life today? You know, if, if you're serving the Lord, and even with, with the many you know, questions, it seems just to be kind of flooding our minds in the time that we're living and the things that we're seeing happen, how's it, how's it going? Are you at a place of peace? Are you at a place of, of, of full faith and understanding and knowing that God is still in control? If you're here today and you don't know or profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, how, how's it going for you? <laughs> if it's, you know, not going well, maybe we need to pause for a moment. You know, and if, if you're kind of rolling along, then, you know, God bless you. But, you know, I, I've, as, as we dive deeper and get below the surface a little bit, and if you have a conversation with people, you know, people are hurting in a lot of places. People have a lot of questions and people are concerned, not just about right now, but about the future and even the future for their children and future generations. My question, another question I would ask is, where do you turn to find your answers today? Lord help you if it's just the news and the media <laughs> or Facebook, that can get depressing pretty quickly. You know, maybe we turn here and we have a day or two of, of, of just kind of fun and celebrating and it's great and it's a good time and we should do this. But, it, you know, Monday's coming <laughs> and the realities of everything kind of come back and come crashing in very quickly, don't they? Have you ever stopped long enough to consider who Jesus said he is and what you might do with that? It's a simple question. Some have never really stopped, some have. You know, oftentimes when we hit difficult seasons or difficult times of life, you know, we kind of pause and it makes us really kind of search out our hearts and search out what we believe and where things are at. You know, the last few years, many people have lost loved ones, very, people that were very close. And, you know, we ask, there's just questions being asked. I was getting my haircut the other day and, you know, the barber said, you know, he had a guy in his chair, was, his wife's dying of cancer, young couple. And he's like, you know, where does she go when she dies? These are questions that, that people have. These are questions that we, you know, again, can you bury our head in the sand, but they, it will come crashing in at some point. And so where do we turn and, and what do we do with what we know and what we've heard about Jesus? Finally today, and last question I would, I would leave with you this morning and with us is, what would your life look like if you responded less like the mob who wanted to stone Jesus and more like the woman at the well? If you recognized again, Jesus, who he is and who he said he was, instead of getting angry and upset, <laughs> saying, okay, Lord, you know, what would you do with me? What would you do with my, my imperfect life and who I am? I love what Luke says often, you know, he, he didn't make imperfect people perfect. He, he simply uh, made uh, dead people come alive. And so, again, that's, that's something I think that we can just leave with ourselves and with our thoughts this morning as, as we ponder um, what that might look like for us. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And God, I thank you, Lord, for just every person here, every person, Lord, that's within the sound of my voice. 
Again, Father God, we recognize you uh, as creator and as Lord. And God, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, uh, just to, to gather and to hear uh, about who you are and how much you love us. And so, Lord, we pray today that that just as we kick off the festivities for this morning here, um, God, we do so mindful of you, the one who gives us all good things. And so, Lord, we just thank you that you... Um, would just meet us, Lord, in this place. And if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord God, that they would uh, make that profession of faith this morning. And God, that they would uh, reach out, Lord, to, to myself or another staff member, and we would just love the chance to pray with them. God, we thank you for this day. We ask you, Lord, just to bless uh, this town, Long Grove, and the festivities that'll take place. Keep everybody safe today. God, we thank you just for what you're doing here. And, and again, Lord, just for this gorgeous day uh, that you've given us. I pray, Lord, every time that breeze blows and just we feel that cool breeze on our face, Lord God, we just remember you and just your goodness and for giving us this, this beautiful morning. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.